how we're, what we're going to talk about this morning uh, gives us hope for change. And, um, you know, that passage in Romans kind of explains, you know, what the real truth is and how uh, we have victory over sin. Um, but yet we don't always experience that. And, um, but just one of the key elements of, of this uh, change process that God has is that we renew our minds with truth. And I don't know about you all, but just, I mean, just coming here on a Sunday morning and, and hearing the truth in these songs um, and uh, renews my mind and, and gives me hope and, uh, and shows me, you know, that's, that's, that's where, what I'm really supposed to be right there. And, um, and then, um, <clears throat> you know, the reason we, we even have life groups is, is just so that we can interact with one another. And, and we are, uh, the men in our life group got together on Friday night and had a great time going to um, Casey Joe's barbecue and then, and then bowling. And um, it, it was okay until um, everything got out of hand and we got on the bowling alley and, you know, that, that uh, competitive spirit came out and, I mean, fists were flying and <laughs> mouths were cursing and, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, uh, not on the outside anyway. Uh, but uh, there was a phenomenal thing that happened. Eric had a 31 going into the fifth frame or after the fifth frame. And then he just put all strikes on the board. Well, except for one, the very 10th frame. But he ended up with a 140 from, from 31. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Uh, and he ended up beating all, all of us. We thought we were going to win. So <clears throat> anyway, um, let, let's just open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I know in and of uh, myself there's really nothing I can say to um, uh, have an uh, impact that you want to have. I pray, God, that um, mixed with your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, God, you would Use your word and the words that, that I share this morning, Father, to um, have the impact that you want it to have in each individual life here. And Lord, I'm thankful that it's not a coincidence for each and every person that you brought here this morning. Um, it's not just an exercise we go through or um, a routine, but um, Lord, we, we come to, to hear from you, and, and I pray that you would your presence would be uh, near to us this morning, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so this past week, uh, I went to a Chili's restaurant, and um, when I got home, I was just like, something's, what is that that smells? And uh, it turns out, you know, I'm smelling, and it's my clothes, you know, <clears throat> and even my skin. Have you ever been to, like, restaurants, and, like, uh, you just, you come out of there, and and your clothes and your skin, I mean, it, it permeates all the way through. And, and you're just like, um, man, I can't wear those clothes again. I got to throw them in the, in the washing pile because uh, they stink so bad. And you almost feel like you have to take a shower, you know, or else you'll just, you'll smell like chilies the rest of the day. Um, but uh, so, you know, those restaurants that just, they leave a distinct smell on your clothes. What's that? Oh. Um, and, and I would say that uh, you, I'm going to use the word, uh, my clothes and my skin were soiled uh, by the restaurant. So in the same way, as we walk through this world, we get soiled um, on a daily basis. Um, last week, I used the analogy of clothes when we talked about putting off the old and putting on the new self. Um, but there's one step in that process that is uh, probably one of the most important steps. Do you guys, anyone remember what that is? Put it, that that was no put, putting off the old and then putting on the new and then there's a step in between. Yes, renewing your mind. Okay, renewing your mind with what? Uh, God's truth. So to me, the renewing uh, your mind part of the process involves clean cleansing. It, it's like it's like cleaning. It's like you take off the old clothes, you wash them, uh, you 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 clean your body, um, and then you put on new clothes. Um, cleaning yourself of the soiling you take on by living in this world. Uh, Paul even describes the old self as being corrupted by deceitful desires. Uh, we know that desires are a natural part of our daily lives, but deceit 
has the idea of adding untruth to those desires. Um, <clears throat> so we are, become deceived by untrue information. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly bombarding us with telling us lies about fulfilling those desires. Um, so we cannot skip the step in between uh, of renewing our mind with truth. That would be like um, just putting new clothes on your old clothes on a daily basis, but never taking a shower. And um, after a while, the, the soiling would smell through even the new clothes. That's not a, a pretty picture. Um, <clears throat> so the best news about this passage we're going to look at this morning is that change is possible and that God gives us a formula for that change. So I am going to read... Um, I'm going to read the whole passage again, um, even though we're going to focus on the second half of it this morning, but I, I want to just remind us of the whole passage because it, it all goes together. So if you guys could turn to Ephesians 4, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 17. <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. <clears throat> so it is possible, God is saying it is possible to live this way, to be tenderhearted, to speak in a manner that builds up, to be kind and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but as an example, uh, what do deceitful desires tell us about that? Um, I'm sure all of you have heard people say like, that's just the way I am. I can't change. That's a deceitful desire. That's just the way uh, my, my upbringing has determined my destiny. You know, it was my parents or the circumstances in my life. And uh, again, those are, those are lies from, from the devil um, that cause us to think that way. So what is the truth which, which we can renew our minds? Well, just here in, in the book of Ephesians that we've gone to are massive truths. God in Christ has forgiven you. Grace was given to each of you. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. The love of Christ towards us is beyond comprehension and so many more truths. And I mean, when you just hear all of those truths, you know, strung together, um, it just, it, it totally um, sheds light on, on the, um, the lies. So this is why I think the putting off Renewing our minds and putting on process needs to happen daily um, as a minimum because in my opinion, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I can't make it through a day without getting soiled by the world. And, um, <clears throat> and the remedy is to renew our minds with the truth. So as we look further into this passage this morning, I want to first establish a very important foundation um, that is important. Um, so... We'll see from the passage this morning, and I'm going to read just the portion we're going to go through this morning, um, how Paul turns to start, he kind of goes away from doctrine and starts just giving 
very practical applications, very specific ways <clears throat> in which this new life looks like. Okay, so in verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And notice how a lot of, there's a lot of putting away, putting off. It's just, it's, it goes on with putting off the old self. Um, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, I mean, we could just stop the sermon here, right? Because now we have this list <clears throat> of uh, new standards, new rules that Paul's just given us. But this is why I want to explain why this foundation I want to set is so important. Because if, if we don't, um, if we just see Paul's commands as a new set of rules to live by, then it could have these three effects on us. One, we will not understand how the power of God in our lives enables us to obey these commands. Two, why we are called to live in the way these commands describe, the why behind it. And three, if that happens, we'll just become Pharisees, um, just trying to attempt to follow a new set of rules. You know, here are the old rules, here's the new rules. Um, just an example of this is, say, for example, uh, a new Christian uh, uh, I tell a new Christian, hey, um, steal no longer. Don't steal anymore. And he's like, why? And I just say, because God says so. Um, I don't feel like that's really fulfilling the command that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Um, I think uh, God is is bigger than that, and he just doesn't give commands and say, because I said so. Because um, if they do, maybe they'll start obeying of not stealing just because they're afraid of the consequences of getting caught and being punished. But maybe their inner greed has not changed one bit. And as we know, God is more interested in the heart, um, getting to the heart of the matter. Um, so the foundation I want to set here is to show you how Paul does not just give commands but he ties the commands to the character of God, the sinful nature of man, and the sufficiency of Christ. Ultimately, he is instructing us to walk by faith. If we simply instruct people to have the fruit of obedience, but we never plant the tree of faith, um, then we will all will produce in life in our discipleship as Pharisees and legalists, and, and we don't want that. So what's happening here? Um, as a big picture of Ephesians is Paul has spent three chapters discussing doctrine about who God is and what his purposes are, who man is, and God's answer to redeem sinful man. He explains in Ephesians 2.10 that he created a new creation for good works. We are his workmanship, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He contrasts the deceit in verse 22 the deceitful desires of our old selves being corrupted with the truth in Ephesians 24, where he states that a new self was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What, what can we say about these things? Um, we can say that they're supernatural works of grace. I mean, God creating us uh, as his workmanship to walk in good works, um, God creating this new self after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, these are all uh, supernatural works of God's grace. And, um, but these are the real truths about us. Um, you have to change your, your thinking. Ultimately, notice that Paul states the goal in Ephesians 5.1, which I'm not going to get into 5.1 today, but it starts off saying, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And um, that's really the end goal is Paul created us in his workmanship, as his workmanship, he created this new self. And what would that new self look like? It would look like God. It would, look, it would imitate God. 
And, and that's what, what he is, is, is trying to do here. So the truth behind these commands is that God wants our obedience to come from a transformed mind that sees and understands his ways. It doesn't just hear commands because I told you so. Um, and the truth Paul lays out for us to produce the fruit of obedience is that God loved sinners and sent his son Christ to die for sinners. And by his grace and the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit works his renewal process in our lives. And it's all of grace and received by faith. I think it's interesting because, you know, uh, it talks about uh, walking by faith. And um, it really does take faith to to believe these things. And faith is believing these things. It's trusting that what God is saying is true, um, that he created us a new self to walk in. And and like David was saying earlier in that passage, really what the the beauty of Romans 6 is that we have been set free. Um, I need to look up this analogy, but um, I feel like I heard this somewhere sometime. Maybe someone can confirm with me afterwards whether it's true. But um, I heard that like for uh, circus elephants, when they're, when they're babies uh, in the circus, they kind of, they put a chain around one of their legs and tie it to like a pole to where that elephant, um, at his young elephant age, he, he, can't, he can't move. He can't get away from that pole. He feels like he's, he's chained to that pole. Um, and then as the elephant grows, um, it has just become a learned habit that, like, I, I, I stay here. You know, I, I'm hooked to something, and I, and I can't move. And so uh, when it gets old, it, it, older, and, and it really would have the power to break that chain, um, it doesn't because it has been, its mind has been transformed to believe <laughs> that um, that chain means I can't, I can't go anywhere. I can't break it. And, uh, and this is what, what God has done for us. What he's done is he's broken that chain. And the reason we need to renew our minds is because we've been conditioned our whole lives to believe that we're tied to something that we can't get rid of, that we can't change, that we can't live in a certain way that God calls us to live. But that's, that's not true. So that's why we need to constantly uh, put off the old, renew our minds, and put on the new. Um, and what's the purpose of all of this? Um, in my understanding, when we were in Ephesians 3, <clears throat> um, God had, there was this verse in Ephesians 3, verse um, <clears throat> 9, uh, that God wants to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, which is us here, which is other believers in the world, um, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Why? Because that brings him glory. So um, when our lives are lived like Paul talks about in these commands, then we are displaying God and his wisdom to the world. When we can be kind to people that are mean, when we can forgive people that in all respects, don't deserve forgiveness, then we are displaying to the world the wisdom of God. Um, and if you, if you take this to the idea of putting on clothes, then it could mean that um, our attitudes and behaviors will be visible for all to see. Just like, you know, if I got new clothes for Christmas and I didn't wear my shirt, my new shirt for, from Christmas, but uh, if I did, it would be visible for all of you to see. <clears throat> so, so then how will I be kind? By faith. How will I not steal? By faith. Paul summed his life up in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he's doing this in the new self. He's doing this in the new created self. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying here is that the pursuit of holiness in his life is not done in his own strength to where he would get the glory, but rather it is a work of grace in his life. And so God gets the glory. Um, 
I was having a conversation with someone uh, this past week, and and we were just talking about, um, you know, sometimes when we sin, we get down on ourselves, and we're just like, we want to beat ourselves up and feel like we have to wallow in some self-pity for, I don't know, five days before we can talk to God again, because we've created this self-made punishment uh, on ourselves. And uh, I feel like, really, I've only come to this understanding in the last couple years where God has really said to me at times like that, and he said, did you ever think you were righteous to begin with? I mean, you, you, you beat yourself up over a sin as if like it was about you and, and it was all you to begin with. But anytime you are living according to this new life, it's a work of grace. God gets the credit. It's totally a work of grace. We need to give credit to him and his grace. So um, when we sin, it's, it's not something that we need to wallow in. We just need to put off the old, renew our mind, and put on the new and get with it. Um, God probably is disappointed to see that we're trying to create our own man-made penance. So now let's look at these practical ways that God desires us to live in order to imitate him and display himself to the world through us. So we're going to look at each of these individually. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Again, I like how he uses the word put away again because it goes along with putting away the old self. And what's, what's involved with the old self? Falsehood. Um, where does falsehood and lying come from? Our old selves, which were alienated from the life of God and ripe for being deceived by Satan, who we know is the father of lies. So as we are to put off our old selves, we are to put off falsehood. Um, I said before that we all have desires. The problem with the desires of the old nature is that they are deceitful. Right? There's nothing wrong with desires in and of themselves, but what's bad is when, desires, when desire goes after the wrong things. And why does our desire go after the wrong things? It's because our hearts are deceived by what is truly desirable. You know, our, our heart tells us uh, in deception uh, to desire this. Um, and I'll give, an, I'll give an example here in a minute. But uh, God tells us, this is what you should truly desire. What you should truly desire is truth, not falsehood. Um, but why, do, why does our heart trick us into um, desiring f falsehood? <clears throat> um, two things I can think about, um, just in terms of lying, right, um, is that they're motivated by fear, which is not from God, or they're motivated by covetousness. I'm sure there are more, but these are a couple that I was thinking of. Um, so why do tip people typically lie? Um, one uh, is when we're fearful of our reputations uh, being harmed. Or we might lie because we're, we're fearful of physical harm. Um, and when we covet money or things and, or a certain standing in others' eyes, I'm sure uh, there are other reasons, but there's another reason that we lie. Um, you think of... Um, Priscilla and a, no, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They lied. Uh, they were motivated by covetousness, and they were motivated by trying to appear to have a certain reputation before others. Um, and God was not pleased with that. Um, so let's just think about the deceitful desire of protecting our reputations, right? Um, the deceit is you know, boy, I, I just, uh, I don't want people to think bad of me. I don't want, um, I want people to think good of me, right? Um, so based on that, perhaps we are deceitful or live, you know, duplicit lives. Duplicit meaning like I'm one way here and with you guys and I'm another way with the people I work with um, in order to avoid persecution, <clears throat> Right? Um, I fear persecution, so uh, I'm going to lie. 
uh, to people that might ask me, like, are you a Christian or what do you believe about this? Um, but what does the truth say to this? All right, the truth is that blessed are you when men speak all manner of evil against you. That's the truth. The truth is you don't have to protect your reputation because you're blessed if your reputation is, you know, mud thrown at it by the world. Um, so, again, you can see how we have a deceitful desire, but the real desire we should have is to be blessed. Um, think about it. There'd be no great biographies of those martyred um, in, through Christian history if they um, lived in falsehood. You know, they'd have just lived a duplicit life, you know, among the, the world uh, versus among the, the people that they know that they're not going to get persecution from. Um, so think about the deceitful desire of lying on your taxes, or since that tax season's coming up, right? Or your timesheets at work, you know, adding a few extra hours a week in order to give yourself a financial gain. Um, I mean, you might be in a financial situation where uh, you just feel like it's a burden that you can't uh, live with and... Um, and you see this opportunity, if I just cheat on my timesheet a little bit, I'll get a little extra money. If I cheat on my taxes just a little bit, I can get some extra money and help myself get out of that burden. But what does the truth say to counter this deceitful desire? It says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So we're not believing the truth. Uh, we are being deceived by um, a deceitful desire. And what does Paul say should be a motivation for speaking the truth? He says, because we are members one of another. Um, Paul emphasized that especially in Jesus's church, lying to each other or hypocrisy or duplicity or deception or somehow dimming the truth and so forth are not to be. The reason being that we are only hurting ourselves because we are all part of Christ's body. That is the truth. Again, you know, when we're in the midst of lying, that deceit, that, that deception, the lie from Satan is that uh, it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> and uh, it's not going to hurt anybody, but that's not the truth. The truth is it hurts the body of Christ. And we're all part of the body of Christ, so it's hurting you, but you just don't see it. Um, so rather than that, God wants his people to be candid with each other, straightforward, frank, open, real, truthful and honest. And um, again, that's hard to do, right? Because again, this deceitfulness of my reputation, uh, what people think, like what kind of Christian I am, or all these things, but those, those are lies. So um, you know what it said in 1 John, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. May we live this way by faith and trust in God's truth. Um, Because in the end, it will, God is, God is, it says, let God be made true and, and, and everyone else a liar or something like that. I'm not getting the verse exactly right. Okay, so let's move on to <clears throat> Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Does this mean that if we're Eskimos living in Antarctica, we have six months before we have to let go of our anger? No, of course not. Because if you know, the sun kind of stays up a lot of the year. <laughs> okay. Um, so we can agree to disagree about this point. And uh, I was talking with Eric and David about it a little bit uh, uh, on Wednesday night this week. But um, I'm not really going to address uh, what some call, quote, righteous anger, because I cannot explain what it looks like. I'm not sure that I've ever experienced it or, or, or seen it uh, in action in others. Um, I'd go so far as to say that when I have encountered people who, who cite, well, I just, it's righteous anger. Um, every time I've seen it, their actions look sinful. I mean, so uh, um, I believe there can be righteous anger because obviously it says that God is slow to anger 
and um, God has anger every day. Um, but, um, but God is not tainted with a sinful nature that affects everything that he thinks, does, and says, and we are. Um, so I'll just say that if it is possible for us to have righteous anger, I'm not sure I've ever seen it or experienced it. Maybe in your guys' discussion groups you can talk about, no, this is what righteous anger looks like, and, and this is the responses you have when you do have righteous anger. But uh, frankly, I've, if ever I've used the word righteous anger in my own life, I can tell you uh, there was sin involved. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, what I will say is that when God creates in us a new heart, he does not cancel out our consciousness. Um, the new creation is not unable to make choices, but rather it's able to make choices with a transformed heart. What I mean by that is, I mean, uh, I think what Paul is saying is here a truth. One truth is that you will experience anger. Um, but when you experience anger, I can choose to allow sin to... Um, I can, choose that, I can choose to have that anger, the responses of that anger be sinful, or I can choose for the responses of that anger to not be sinful, because um, God still gives us uh, choices. Um, I can also say that God can have righteous anger because he is all righteous and all holy, and, and we are not. Um, what's interesting is um, I was reading a commentary, and... Um, I didn't even know this, but Paul is actually quoting this verse from Psalm 4.4, okay? And uh, just I just think it's uh, really neat to, uh, to connect the two. Um, if you look at Psalm 4.4, David says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And in my opinion, this is my opinion, the verse in Psalms gives me a little insight to the interpretation of the verse in Ephesians. From the Psalms, anger does not seem to exhibit any, quote, outward reactions, but rather it seems to say to me to recognize the feeling of anger within you in order to use it to learn some things as to why or what is going on in your heart. You see no outbursts of of words or actions in Psalm 4.4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Kind of like it has the idea of privately evaluate what's going on in your heart and be silent. Don't just react. Um, so... Um, what is something we can learn from Paul's instruction? though, here in Ephesians 4.4? Well, there's three things. One is that we will experience anger, or else he wouldn't have addressed it. Um, anger is an emotion that, that we are all going to experience from time to time. Two, the time to remain angry is short. Um, he puts a time, a time boundary on it. And three, if we hold on to anger, then it gives the devil an opportunity to further deceive us. So why should anger be short-lived? To me, that's the, that's the biggest reason, because it is a dangerous emotion that has huge potential to turn into sin, either with our words or our actions. Um, the more we sit there and stew on it and boil, um, it can turn into wrath. Um, and uh, if we continue to hold on to anger, it can turn into grudges, holding on to a grudge, uh, which can turn into bitterness, and then bitterness causes divisions uh, in relationships, which is not imitating God. It's not what God is about. Um, so this is why I like looking at the origination of the passage in Psalms, because it has the idea of being cautious with anger when it says to ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And then Paul takes a step further to say explicitly, do not allow anger to fester beyond the day, or else you are opening yourself up to more of Satan's lies. Um, James says it this way, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think the reason there are so many other passages, I could just cite them, but there are so many passages to talk about putting away anger and 
the um, dangers of anger, um, I think it's because uh, it's, they're talking in a negative way 99% of the time, uh, is that there are big warning signs to highlight to us that sinful anger is both common and dangerous. Um, so what is the deceitful desire that we see in anger? There, there's, there is a deceitful desire there. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know how to explain this in words. I was trying to think, but like <clears throat> when I experience anger, it's almost like I want to counter, I want to satisfy that. I want to counteract it with something. It could just be like slamming my hand on a table, right? And then you feel like you've, you've counterbalanced that anger or you've, you've satisfied it. Um, or it's, it could be a verbal outburst um, of sinful words. Um, somehow that just seems to comfort us or, or satisfy us um, to provide that outlet for the anger. But again, these responses are sinful, and the reality is that these kind of responses are really consuming us. They're not comforting us. They're not satisfying us, um, and they're just causing uh, destruction. So what is the truth? The truth is that I should have the desire to ponder what's going on in my heart and that anger is just a signal that something is not right and to ask God, God, what is going on in my heart? Where, where's this, why am I experiencing this anger? What, uh, is it that pride? Is it my pride? Is it I feel like some of my rights have been violated? Is it, you know, what, what is? Let the anger be a signal to evaluate your heart. Um, rather than satisfying it in, in, in an action. Um, but I also want us to know, and I'm sure that uh, most of you already know this, um, because anger does and has caused much destruction in relationships. I mean, I've experienced it. You, you all are involved in relationships. You, you've seen it happen, right? So... Um, Relinquishing anger is what God wants us to do, and he wants us to extend forgiveness and reconcile with one another, but that does not mean things will immediately go back to the way they were before. If I have an outburst of anger with my wife and I could ask for forgiveness and I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that, I mean, it's still that the pain and the destruction that anger caused, it's not like I can just expect that... Um, uh, she's going to be able to go, okay, great, uh, no problem, no prob no worries, you know, it did, no, no, nothing happened. Um, I came across this quote, which I liked, anger should die every night, but trust is regained one morning at a time. Relationships are built on trust, and trust is built over time, not always given indiscriminately in a moment, so we need to be patient with the process of trust building and full restoration. Um, you know, when we sin against someone else and um, that damage can, can, can linger, it can have lingering consequences. So don't get more angry by not expecting that person to just like go, oh, no worries, done, it's over with. You need to be patient and regain that trust. Um, day after day, uh, until God brings about full restoration. <clears throat> so, okay, <clears throat> now we're going to go to verse 28. Um, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so let's break, it, break this down. There's three things that, uh, that I see here. Um, let the thief steal no longer. Um, why would the thief be stealing? So, so he could steal in order to have, to have something. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his hands. So another option is you can work in order to have, in order to get. Third, though Paul doesn't stop there, he says, let the goal of this labor be to give to those in need. So you can steal in order to have, you can work in order to have, or you can work in order to give. And um, what is the desire here that we are deceived into believing? To me, 
it's if we fall into this second category of uh, working in order to have, um, which can can lead um, to us uh, just having a legal way of satisfying um, the drive of covetousness, extravagance, and greed. Um, you know, the first two can be driven driven by greed. Um, you can steal and that's driven by greed, and you can be driven by greed to work, to get. One is illegal and one is legal, but in my opinion, both are sinful because that's not the, the truth. The truth is that um, um, a lot of times, you know, if we're living on this number two level, um, we glorify work over stealing, and we feel like we have acted virtuously if we have shunned stealing and given ourselves to an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. It's true that working is better than stealing, but this is not the standard. Um, level two leaves us with an I work to get mentality rather than an I work to give mentality. And um, sadly, though, our American culture, even, you know, talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, our American culture drives this even more. This the devil can use it to deceive us into thinking, hey, if I earned it, you know, I should have it. Uh, but the truth says, this is not God's ideal. So what truth can we glean from this? Um, <clears throat> so I think the one thing that encourages me, because, you know, I, I was working this week and just work, work is hard. And um, um, I'm getting, I get weary, you know, and I'm just like, especially coming off a long break, right, between Christmas and New Year's, and you're just like, boy, I wish I didn't have to work. This is, and I mean, I've got a lot of years left. Um, uh, but I think the one thing from this passage that we shouldn't overlook is that work is not a curse. It is God-ordained, and its purpose is to prov not only provide for our needs, but also to provide for other people's needs. And in looking at it that way, I don't know, it just can, it, give, it gave me more peace, you know, to think like, if I'm working so I can give to others' needs, then there's a purpose behind it. It's not just a daily grind with no purpose, okay? And then um, the other truth I think we can glean from this passage is that any and all work is not acceptable for the Christian, okay? It says honest work. So there may be times that you need to test your vocation and between you and the Lord, determine if it meets this criteria. Um, I was... I just think it's an important thing to do to ask the Lord, is this the work that you would have me be doing, you know, according to your criteria of honest work, God? Or am I in a field that uh, really doesn't really fall into that category of honest work? Or it's a field that is um, just not in line with, with God? Um, now, what's the truth we can glean from the ideal standard that God gives? I think what he is saying is that the goal of God for his people in all their employment is reached when they work in order to have so that they can give to those in need. <clears throat> so I think what's, if you, if you see the pattern here, I'm going I'm to bring it out. You know, we've talked about being truthful, putting aside falsehood and, and, and walking in truth. We've talked about um, <clears throat> when you experience anger, not, not allowing it to turn into sin. Um, uh, and now we're talking about um, working in order to give to the needs of others. The reason I wanted to share Ephesians 5.1 is because it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And, I mean, what's the number one uh, character quality of God. I mean, maybe there's more, but I think of the, all the verses in the Old Testament say like, the Lord is gracious and he's abundant in loving kindness. I mean, he's a gracious God. He's a God of grace. And what's going on in all of these passages that we are to be like God is he, um, the, the next level he, he ramps everything up to is to be a grace giver, Okay. Um, he's turning work now into works of grace. Your work is a means to display the grace of God to others when you give to meet others' needs. 
that's, that's just revolutionary. It's, it, uh, it, it, all of these things are taking, um, taking it from the human level and taking it to a higher level of giving to others. It, it's always involves, it always involves others. And again, um, Herrick's going to go into Ephesians 5.1, but it just says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay? It always involves others. There's no like solo, I'm going to be a monk on a mountaintop kind of living here. It's everything we do should be for others. God wants us to be a people of grace. Um, so this kind of living is walking by faith and is just another thing in the list in which the goal is for us to be a people of grace, like God is a God of grace. Um, being a truthful person makes you a person of grace. Not sinning in anger makes you a person of grace. And working in order to meet others' needs makes you a person of grace. Um, these things are perfectly in line with verse 24, uh, which says that the creation of the new self was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So now let's talk about being a people of grace with our mouths. How can we be a people of grace with our mouths? Uh, verse 29 through 31 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, that word corrupt, uh, I have one of these dictionaries that you know, define, has uh, de definitions in the back from the Greek. And uh, it comes from the word rotten. Um, anything that is rotten, if you think, think of things that are rotting. You might have leftovers in your fridge from the holidays. Um, anything that is rotten is worthless. It has no redeeming value. You just, you throw it out. Um, so why is this in the list? Uh, in this list that Paul is explaining, this is how you should be. Um, because in the end, the battle for purity, and as I said earlier, God is interested in the heart, right? He could have just stopped and said like, don't be vile and vulgar in your speech. But he goes beyond that because he's interested in the heart. Um, and we know that Jesus said that um, the truth is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So therefore, the only way to have a good mouth is to put off the old self with its mean, uncaring self and renew the mind with the truth and put on the new self. Um, this is the only way our mouths will be uh, mouths of grace. Um, words that are good for, it says words that are good for building up. Words that give grace to those who hear do not come from a mean spirit and uncaring, loveless attitude. Um, they come from a loving heart, a tender heart, a compassionate heart. Um, so again, God, in each of these things, he, he gets to the heart of the matter. Um, and he's the one who created this new heart that we can walk in, this new self that we can walk in. So what is wrong with rotten words? Well, just think of like rotten food, right? Um, rotten food does not nourish. Um, it does nothing to strengthen, improve, or encourage. Um, so that's what rotten words do, just like rotten food. Um, rotten words, just like rotten foods, um, will probably make you sick, right? If you eat those uh, uh, moldy whatever uh, in your fridge, you might make, get sick. Um, so in other words, um, they don't just not provide positive nourishment. Uh, rotten words actually uh, cause negative harm. Um, also, rotten words, just like rotten foods, um, make the atmosphere around them unpleasant because they give off a putrid stench, right? That's where sometimes you know you need to get rid of something because something is smelling around the house. Um, so, um, again, I said before, but Paul just doesn't stop with saying, like, don't speak in this manner, but he goes on with the admonishment to uh, stop acting like the old self would act, but he gives a picture. He always gives a picture of what the new self should look like. 
and the new self is in the imitation of God. Why? Because God wants to show us the truth that combats deceitful desires. And the truth about our communication is that it should come from a heart of love. Um, with my communication is my intention to shower others with grace and love um, and building up. Um, just like in the previous verses, the end goal is to be a people that are grace givers, just like the Father is a grace giver. Um, do do the wor your words we share with others give grace? This is the question to ask ourselves. And that looks like words that build up, encourage, <clears throat> lift burdens, and so forth. So we as Christians are a people whose rotten mouths have been made new by the grace of Jesus. And the truth is that the new self has words that spill over from a heart motivated by love. Um, there might be other interpretations of this, but when you think of like, why would he add this in here? Um, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Just a, a thought that I have is that, um, just think about what the Holy Spirit's done. He's sealed us for the day of redemption. And what does that do for us? That gives us hope. That, I mean, we are sealed and, and we, we have much hope that we're not going to be unsealed, right? Um, rotten language is not only worthless, it is hopeless. And our words should be ones that give people hope. Um, if we are talking with rotten words, then... Uh, they don't give hope to people. Um, so ask yourselves this morning, am I building the faith of others by what I say? Is my mouth a means of God's grace? These kinds of words give hope. If this is not you this morning, the good news is, we already talked about, there's a formula for change, right? It's putting off, renewing your mind with the truth, and putting on the new self. So in all of these areas this morning, wherever you find yourselves, it's not hopeless. I mean, God has given us the, the remedy. Um, <clears throat> okay, the last section is um, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Um, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. <clears throat> put away. That's the old self. Put on or be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Um, so again, Paul shows us the contrast between the old and the new. Um, I, I was thinking of the word tenderhearted here and um, uh, just thinking of it, you know, when you think of tenderhearted, you, you think of something that's sensitive you know, a sensitive person, sensitive, you know, to touch or, or just not really that, but just someone who's sensitive to things around them and people around them and what's going on in people's lives. Um, but can we also be uh, tenderhearted in a sense, uh, too sensitive to things that offend, right? Uh, people that are easily offended uh, or can we be tenderhearted in a way that enhances our love for people? I mean, all the thing, if we are sensitive and easily offended, then we're going to exhibit um, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, along with all malice, which means you intend to harm someone. You intend to uh, really... Um, whether it's through slander or whether it's through anger, which can turn into some physical harm. Um, if our disposition is one from the old self, a tender heart will react to things in wrath and anger, and those byproducts will be bitterness, holding grudges, slander, which is using your words to tear down people. But what is the radical dish difference of a tender heart from the new self? Well, it comes from a different place. It comes from a heart that understands, <clears throat> and this is what I... Um, just take a little bit here to try to explain this, but um, a tender heart from the new self, why is it tender? Why is it it's sensitive to the things of God? Um, why 
um, because it understands the horror of sin. It understands um, that we're sinful people. Um, it understands uh, the holiness of God and the gap between our sinfulness and his holiness. And it understands that the forgiveness of God is something that is of high value to us uh, and that without God's forgiveness, we would not be saved. Um, the extent of our faith needs to go beyond looking at the cross as a get-out-of-jail-free card or as just like, get glad God did that, now I'm off the hook, okay? Um, I just uh, probably, uh, pet peeve's not the right word, something that just really incenses me is... Um, how can there be unforgiveness in God's people? How can, how can, how can that be, right? I mean, how, I, I know of Christian families that there's division primarily because of unforgiveness, right? Um, or um, even in churches, there's divisions because of unforgiveness. That's, that's not even possible in God's, in God's uh, uh, truth. Um, but it is possible if we just look at the cross as a way to get off the hook. If the gospel message to us is just a get out of, get out of hell free card, then yes, we can still be bitter and angry and unforgiving people. Um, but if when you look at the cross, you can't help but be grateful to the kind of God who offers you a future of endless reconciled tomorrows, then you will be motivated to being a kind, forgiving person. Think about that. Like if you just understand in your own life that like I am reconciled and it's endless today, tomorrow, every hour. If I sin, grace will abound. Grace will abound much more. And it covers that sin. Um, if we fully understand that, then we should extend that grace to others. We should extend that forgiveness to others. There's really, there's really no excuse to not do that. Um, and when we don't do that, we, we just, we look like the devil, imitators of the devil, not imitators of God. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to share, end with this quote um, from Charles Spurgeon. And, and ask you to just think about um, your uh, understanding of the forgiveness of God in your own life and, and, and what it means to you, the depth of it. Okay, so this is Charles Spurgeon. <clears throat> My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. But oh, the blessed gospel, the God of grace came to me and with but oh, the blessed gospel, the God of grace came to me and with it a sovereign word, deliver him. And I, who was but a minute before as wretched as a soul could be, could have danced for the very merriment of heart. And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told of the pardon I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God." Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, this is why we need our minds to be renewed constantly, God, so that um, we understand that actually this, all these things that Paul's talking about in Ephesians, the, who we are as sinful people, who you are as a redeeming God, how you provided um, forgiveness to us through Christ. Um, Lord, I, I, I pray. In fact, I, I just think of like uh, now the, the prayer of Paul when he says, I, I pray that you would uh, understand the love of God, um, the length and the width and the breadth and the height of the love of God 
I pray that you would help us to understand that more and more, God. I feel like the more we can know your love for us, the more we can be people of grace in, in all these ways that we looked at this morning, um, but especially this last way of being a forgiving people, God, um, so that there can be unity um, in the body, unity in families. Um, so God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the word that we have. We have words of truth uh, that we can read every day. We can meditate on every day uh, to renew our minds that we would walk in this um, supernatural way of living, God, um, that where, where you talk about all these, don't live this way, but live this way. And uh, we just pray for your strength and power in our lives and your grace in our lives to live in this manner that we will be imitators of you uh, so that the world will see our good works and glorify you. And um, that's just our prayer this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.